This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. You don't really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals, capusta, bumpy, padoli, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Hey, Yak Shamash, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. This is Jay Kokorowski, of course, coming to you live from Madison, Wisconsin. We are here on behalf of Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys check out Bucky's Fifth Quarter for all your Badgers news, notes, and discussion. And some big news coming in from earlier today, obviously, Wisconsin set up to kick off against Hawaii in September, one of their only primetime games aside from the Alabama game in all likelihood, looking at about a 7 p.m. start for that Hawaii game. You also have uh, some news with Dallas Llewellyn. Jason Galloway reported that the former Badgers guard slash center is uh, going to try out with the Detroit Lions. Uh, Jason Galloway, former B5Q contributor, by the way, uh, so spreading his wings and, and being the scoopomatic man that he is and getting the scoop on Kenzel Doe earlier this week and now do out Dallas Lou Allen. Uh, and so tons of notes, Tom Brady talking to college court, college kids tonight. Uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk with that. Uh, of course, we'll also break down uh, Milwaukee Brewers. we got the Polish rifle, Scott Wesniewski coming on in just a little bit to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and the, the decision made to, relieve Ron Renneke of his duties. We'll talk about the implications there. Talk about kind of rewind for the Bucks overall, even though they got decimated in game six in Milwaukee, just about their season. Uh, we'll go from there. But of course, uh, the big news over the past, this past weekend, and we welcome Evan Tex Western from Acme Packing Company, our cousins over at SB Nation that cover the Green Bay Packers. It was the NFL draft. And before we get into the Green Bay Packers and their draft picks, which uh, some interesting moves, and, and uh, clearly uh, they addressed a couple of needs. But uh, maybe, you know, it's just some interesting picks, I'd say, in the third round uh, and a couple others. But we'll get to that. Uh, but, Tex, uh, happy Wednesday evening. If you could only see me right now feeding both my twins at once and how I have this this setup right now in my makeshift studio, it's quite impressive. But uh, your first thoughts on – uh, well, before we get into the Packers, let's talk, uh, since you and I are both Wisconsin alums, uh, Melvin Gordon and Robbie Havenstein, uh, both getting drafted in the first and second rounds uh, of the NFL draft. Uh, your thoughts on Melvin Gordon going to the Chargers at number 15? Well, hey, first, thanks for thanks for having me on. I, uh, I appreciate it. And, and any excuse to, to talk draft is, is one I will gladly take. But uh, start, <laughs> yes, starting off with Melvin, I mean, I think I, I'm 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 hopeful for for him that he doesn't end up like a few of the running backs that have ended up in San Diego over the last couple of years, and I think the the question mark there is you know what kind of offensive line is he going to be playing behind and and obviously you know most of us who watched him you know at Wisconsin can can feel pretty confident that he's going to be able to to make a, a pretty good back out of himself regardless of the blocking in front of him but I think that's going to be the big question is he going to be a you know thousand eleven hundred yards per year kind of guy or you know is he going to crack 
you know, closer to the 1500 range. I mean, that's, that's realistically, I think where, you know, where his ceiling is, he, he could be every bit as good as, you know, and uh, DeMarco Murray or Adrian Peterson or one of these guys in terms of production. So, um, you know, my, I'm, I'm certainly rooting for him. I'm very happy he ended up in the AFC and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's really interesting to note too. Just uh, we had a Q and a with bolts from the blue uh, talking with John Gennaro, the managing editor there, and just talking about just uh, there's still some inconsistencies with that offensive line, even though they had a, a good free agent signing with, uh, uh, with Franklin, the former Broncos guard. So we'll see how, how they revamp that line. And, and obviously everyone's seen the, the hard work and it's the combination of raw talent plus uh, the hard work and work and what it breeded last year uh, with, with just oh, nearly breaking Barry Sanders record uh, real quick about Havenstein uh, picked a little ahead. I'd say most people thought he'd go day three, maybe early day three or late day two in the late in the third round, but the 57th, pick you got Havenstein you and I've watched him throughout the years grow from a 380 pound freshman cuts down to 322 by the combine and uh, though the numbers weren't spectacular in the combine he looks like to be another long line of fantastic Wisconsin offensive linemen to uh, play on Sundays yeah and I think he he enters the situation in St. Louis where he's going to have a chance to play right away at that right tackle spot because yeah, that, that offensive line has kind of been in shambles the last couple of years in St. Louis as well. So, um, you know, certainly I expect him to get every chance to start right off the bat. You got Greg Robinson, last year's first-round pick, who probably moves out to left tackle this year. Um, you know, I don't, I'm trying to think. I don't even think he started most of their games last year. So so I think I was reading that they've probably got one, maybe two returning starters. So, like I said, I mean, it's it's going to be exciting to see what he can do. And then he's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh Lance Kendricks is still in St. Louis, if yep. if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. So he'll be kind of so. re- reunited with a, another former Badger out there. So yeah, it should be uh, should be interesting. Certainly, we'll be we'll be following his career with uh, with some some personal interest there. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're here with uh, Tex Western from Acme Packing Company. Uh, make sure you guys check out Acme Packing. For all you Packer fans, obviously, uh, and non-Packer fans, because you guys do great work over there, routinely, uh, not to, uh, you know, I routinely check out that website uh, on a daily basis. And like I said, you guys, everything you guys do over there uh, is, is awesome. And now, you know, talking more specifically about the Green Bay Packers, you're looking at the fact that uh, they they did some trading, some trading up, uh, you know, some, some interesting moves uh, with, with picking up Brett Hundley in the fifth round, who we hope to, uh, not to jam, but uh, we've been in conversations to try to get him on the show sometime soon. Uh, but you're looking at, you know, let's start off at the, you know, before we even dig deep into each draft pick, uh, Evan, let me ask you about just uh, your overall impressions of, of this draft for, for the Packers, their selections. And uh, did it address things? Did it address the needs of the team? I, I mean, and, and where did it really, or some maybe some surprising picks that you saw overall? Well, I think all in all, this is this is definitely one of those drafts that you're going to be looking for impacts from a lot of these players in years two and three. Um, I don't see any day one starters in this draft, and, and we just had a piece on an Acme Packing Company today, kind of looking back at starting lineups and over the last several years. And you know, it's it's not a it's the Packers' way to kind of ease the rookies in slowly, even even first round picks. Um, I think only only Nick Perry and, and Eddie Lacy were were thrown into the starting lineups right away as as rookies. So um, over the last several years, at least, 
But um, that certainly is, is going to be the case this year, it seems. Um, you got a, a first-rounder and Demarius Randall who – you know, is, is going to have an adjustment period moving back to cornerback from, from playing safety in college. And then you've got a guy in, in Rollins with a second-round pick who, you know, he's played one one year of football since uh, making the switch from basketball. So um, I, I think the one area where I think they could have used to, to could have used to have an upgrade um, would have been at the edge rusher spot, at, at, at outside linebacker in particular. Um, you've got Julius Peppers, who's 35. Both Nick Perry and Mike Neal are entering the last year of their contracts. So there's going to be a lot of turnover, I think, at that position next year. And, and given the way the Packers like to ease their guys in, give them a year to, to adjust before calling on them to be starters, I was fully expecting to see a, an outside linebacker taken in the first three, maybe four rounds. Um, obviously, it didn't work out that way. Ted, Ted decided to focus on the, the secondary and the, with the first couple picks, but... Um, you know, you got a, a solid inside linebacker prospect in the fourth round in Jake Ryan. You got a, another defensive lineman, um, and then you built up some, some some special teams guys in the late rounds, um, and that certainly seemed to be a focus of this this off season. So, um, all in all, I think uh, certainly the jury will be out in, in a couple of years as to as to how good this draft is, as it usually is. But um, I, I do like what what Ted did with it, and and. I think the there was a little bit of panic. I think when everybody realized, oh crap, Ted just took a safety in the first round, um, you know, and then then that panic subsided after about ten minutes when everybody realized, okay, wait, this guy does have the ability to play corner, um, which is by far you know the more critical position to to fill with the, the state of the roster. Absolutely, we're here with Evan Western. Um, Friends call him Tex here from the Acme Packing Company here on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. And, you know, now we're talking Packers draft, the draft picks. You're looking, you know, you mentioned, you know, kind of going you know, going down the line. Uh, let's look at the first two picks. Like you mentioned, they're going more secondary that you lose Tremont Williams to Cleveland and Devon House gets a bank contract with Jacksonville. Uh, despite being, I'd say, a little bit unproven. Uh, so, But congratulations to him making more money than I'll probably see in my lifetime. But you look at Demarius Randall, you look at, uh, you know, you look at Rollins and, uh, you know, Quentin Rollins. Uh, what's, I mean, the big thing that really was interesting besides you and I having a mutual interest in Arizona State just because of the debacle in 2013 with the Pac-12 <laughs> refs is the simple fact that you have a, a player that a lot of people have said they played safety, but, He's the best cover safety that that they've seen, and he. It sounds like he'll play cornerback. Maybe I mean, it sounds like a nickelback type situation, even uh, in terms of just having that ability to play. Uh, you know, just being a defensive back, and I think a lot of times you see this. You know, in these NFL offices, offenses, and you and I have seen it with college offenses. It's you know, a lot of the time, a lot of the base defense will be a four-two-five or a three-three-five, where you're having a nickel or even a dime package, a sub package, but you don't see really that much of a base defense anymore. Uh, I mean, where how, I know, and you mentioned earlier about you don't see them being really day one starters, but where do you see Randall, go, you know, and, and way he plays and, but also with Rollins, a guy that played basketball, but became the, was it a Mac defensive player of the year after only playing mm-hmm. one 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 year, uh, which uh, shows the athleticism and the determination of him, but also uh, hopefully doesn't say much about the Mac defense uh, going on over there, or Maction <laughs> as we like to call it, talk, talk, you know, talk about it. But uh, your thoughts uh, just on Randall and on Rollins in general? Well, I think you, you hit it on the head that Randall's going to be a sub-package guy to start off. He's He's got the skills to, to excel at man coverage in the slot. Um, I kind of see him in a similar role to what Casey Hayward played his rookie year, where 
You know, he's almost exclusively a nickel and dime corner. He's playing in the slot because um, looking at looking back at his last year at Arizona State, he played about 70% of his snaps from, from the deep free safety position, but he also played the, that other 30% in the slot, um, almost exclusively matched up in man coverage. And so he's clearly got the coverage skills. Um, and, and the reason that, that after playing cornerback in, in junior college that, that they moved him to safety when he got to Arizona State from, uh, from what Ted Thompson was saying is that um, the, the free safety position is the most critical part of that defense because they'll play a lot of cover one um, you know, with that single high safety. They'll even play a lot of, a lot of cover zero, just straight man-to-man across the board, and, and that's when they dropped him down into the slot. But um, Todd Graham apparently had told – uh, had told Thompson that if he had played corner, he would have been the best corner on, on Arizona State's roster. So that that kind of tells you the the kind of coverage skills that he's got. Um, but yeah, right off the bat, I think you, you're going to see he's got excellent change of direction skills, good um, good willing tackler. Whether or not you know his his technique definitely needs some work in terms of tackling, and I think that would be a, a concern for teams that were you know thinking about maybe leaving him at safety, but. You know, you get him out in the slot and, and out on the boundary a little bit more, and, and that's maybe not quite as big a concern. So, so yeah, I think you're looking at a, a guy who can, you know, maybe split a little bit of snaps with Micah Hyde in the, in the nickel in the slot. Um, certainly Casey Hayward should be starting on the outside, I, w- I would think, at this point. Um, and then you look at Rollins, and he's kind of a little bit more um, in the mold of Devon House in terms of his style of play, not not necessarily the size because he's about five eleven. House was almost six one, but he's a real physical guy, and and he's he's got a real good knack for for tracking the ball and uh, and keeping receivers in front of him. And I think some of that does come from from being a point guard and and you know having his his kind of backpedal technique that uh, that he's already familiar with. I think that was a skill that translates well. So I think if one of these guys contributes on the boundary early on, I think it's more likely to be Rollins, whereas Randall would be uh, inside in the slot. But um, certainly with Rollins, the sky's the limit in terms of um, of where he can take his talent at this point. Because like you said, one year of football and he wins conference player of the year. So you get him in the hands of Joe Witt for a couple of months before the season opens up. Um, you know, you could, you, who knows, we could, we could be seeing a, um, a real, a real talented playmaker, even even as early as the middle of this season. Absolutely, and you see what Witt's done with a guy like Sam Shields, who, granted, he played football, but he was on the opposite side of the ball for most of his time at Miami as a wide receiver. So, uh, it's a very intriguing to see what you can do with some raw talent like Rollins. And you know, you go from from the secondary to the other side of the ball. You know, you take a look at wide receiver in the third round. You see the Packers take Ty Montgomery out of Stanford and. A guy that, from what I've seen per some reports, you look at the fact that this guy really could be. They some have put him, and this is a kind of a it's a bold prediction, but it's a, it's a one that merits, I would say, uh, a lot of discussion or I mean at least a lot of hype. Look at the fact that they call him a taller Randall Cobb, and now if I mean uh, your thoughts on on them drafting Montgomery, uh, and maybe you know does it reload does it reload the offense? I mean does it does it show? in your opinion, that the, maybe were they going for the best player available at that time? or And what does that say? Do you think Thompson and McCarthy maybe necessarily are uh, – maybe they're worried about the depth of the wide receiver core? I mean, they lose Boykins, but you have a guy like Jeff Janis, you have a former Badger and Jared Aberderis that shined at times during training camp last year. Does that show a lack of confidence in, in the wide receiver core? 
No, I don't necessarily think that has anything to do with it. Um, McCarthy's been saying all offseason here that that Janice really turned it on in practice the last five, six weeks of the season. Um, he felt he really kind of turned a corner, and and you know the, the main reason they didn't activate him was just because the the offense had such a good flow going. So I think um, at this point, you know, with Aberdares coming off his ACL injury and and Janice kind of being hyped as much as he has, I would think that he's got the uh, the inside shot at the the number four receiver job behind Jordy Nelson Cobb and and Devonte Adams, who who obviously kind of broke out in a big way towards the end of the year. Um, I, I don't necessarily see it as a as a depth problem. I do see it as they. They had Montgomery identified as a as a high value player. They they probably thought he was the best guy available, which is certainly Thompson's strategy. Um, and and I think you know they saw a guy who they they can contribute who can contribute in in a number of different ways on offense, kind of like Cobb, as you mentioned. He's got a lot of the the ball carrier characteristics. Um, so I would I would anticipate you see him lined up in the backfield a little bit, kind of like Cobb has been at, at times. Um, he's, he's bigger, he's stockier than Cobb. He might not be quite as quick. Um, but I think that kind of lends itself a little bit better to, to running the ball from the backfield. Just, you can take a little bit, a little bit more punishment that way. I think he's got 15 or 20 pounds on Cobb. So, um, certainly he can take a, a, a few extra hits. Um, and then you add the, the special teams aspect into it too. You can, you can pull Cobb off punt returns and kick returns and, and get him, you know, just, just focused in the offense and you can, you know, Kind of do the same thing with Micah Hyde at back on corner and, and pull him off of punts if you if you want if Montgomery looks good because he's certainly proven that he's a, a really good returner um, and so I, I I think it was just kind of um, yeah kind of a case of they they identified a guy who they had a real good grade on and um, I I read that there was at least one scout who if if Montgomery had come out last year he would have put a, a early second late first round grade on him so he kind of slipped a little bit this year the the Stanford offense wasn't particularly good in general it seemed like uh, right. um, Hogan the quarterback regressed a little bit and and the other problem was that um, Hogan was locked in on Montgomery on just about every pass play I think the you know, I think he got almost half of the team's total targets last season so. It's easy to um, lock in on a receiver like that and, and kind of take him out of the game. So certainly he'll uh, you know he'll be working with Edgar Bennett to refine his rut running a little bit. Um, and and I think it also kind of speaks to um, a trend we'll see later in the draft of of identifying players who can contribute on four downs, as McCarthy likes to say, both both on either offense or defense and on special teams. We're here with uh, Evan Tex Western from Acme Packing Company. And, of course, guys, follow him on Twitter, at Tex Western, uh, and spelled exactly the same way you'd think it would be. And we're talking, of course, some NFL draft recapping. Uh, talking, We talked a little bit about the Wisconsin Badgers earlier with, with Gordon and Havenstein going in the first three rounds, which, by the way, it's, it's a thir- I believe it's the third time in four years that you've seen a duo of Wisconsin Badgers go in the first two rounds. You had... Kevin Zeitler and, and Peter Kahn's. You had Travis Frederick and Monte Ball, Monte Ball, Monte Ball, potato, potato on him, uh, both being drafted then. And then last year, not much there. But then you saw the, you know, this year you saw Gordon Havenstein go uh, first round and second round. And so, uh, but we'll talk more Packers, obviously, because, but. Uh, a Big Ten rival, not necessarily a rival, maybe I'd say, but uh, Michigan Wolverines, and now they're rebuilding underneath Jim Harbaugh, which should make things interesting in the Big Ten East, especially where Tex lives in, in Columbus, Ohio. But you have 
Uh, the Michigan Wolverines and, and a guy and said linebacker, Jake Ryan, uh, selected in the fourth round. Uh, and, and you look at this, a lot of people thought that they'd address that they being the Packers, uh, would address the inside linebacker position, maybe a little bit earlier, uh, and maybe in the first round, maybe the second round, depending upon, uh, what happened. And you're thinking about Perryman, you talk about Kendricks, you talk about a couple other of those inside linebacking prospects, uh, or even Dawson from TCU, uh, but, you know, they, they went with the players they went with. And now you see Jake Ryan, the inside linebacker. Looks like he's going to be wearing number 47. Uh, your thoughts on the draft pick of Ryan? Do you think he's going to be get a lot of snaps? Uh, granted, I know it's really, really, I'd say, early to say because he was just drafted, albeit not even a you know, week ago. But do you think he's got a chance to, to break into the two deep or into the uh, sub, certain sub packages or base defense. And, and do you think that, I mean, based on the fact that they didn't draft a linebacker early in day one or day two, that really they're still looking to have Clay Matthews play that inside position with Sam Barrington. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty clear to me that the, the Packers weren't totally crazy about any of the, the, the so-called top tier inside linebacker prospects, just based on um, kind of how the draft board shook out. Um, you know, with, with the first round, you can, you can credit that to them having a real high grade on Randall um, as opposed to, you know, some of these linebackers. But um, one of the things that Ryan has that, that a lot of those guys don't is size. I mean, he's 6'2", 245 ish, which is kind of your prototypical middle linebacker um, size. And, and a lot of these guys, you know, Kendricks is six foot two thirty, two thirty five. Um, you know, Perryman at, at five ten and a half or so, almost kind of Chris Borland like build. Um, you know, you, you wonder if that has to play into it a little bit, and and if if Ted was was content to to let some of those other guys go off the board, pick up players at other positions, and then and then be be happy with Ryan. Um, but one of the things with him is is I, I think part of the reason he fell was um, the ACL injury that kept him out of much of the 2013 season. Um, but but that was that's a crazy story because he he suffers a torn ACL in spring camp at like the end of March or so. Um, he says he's going to come back from that and be back on the field in six months. He makes it back on the field in six and a half months. I mean that's that's obscene in terms of a recovery time to to get back on the field. And and obviously he wasn't. Uh, full strength until, you know, the start of the 2014 season. Um, but, but I think he's got all the characteristics you look for in, in an inside linebacker. Um, he's got some coverage ability. He's probably a little better in zone than he will be in man. But um, I think that, that right off the bat gets him, uh, an opportunity to play in some sub packages. Uh, like, like you said, I mean, the Packers use nickel or dime on probably 65 to 70% of their snaps anyway. And so that that right there opens the door for for him to get get some opportunities uh, on on the inside. I think one of the questions for for Ryan in terms of whether or not he can play early or not is what happens with Carl Bradford. Um, he was last year's fourth round pick. They they tried him at outside linebacker. He just didn't really click, uh, and so they moved him inside with a year where late in training camp last year, and and he sat for for the entire season basically um, on the inactive list. And so you know what. I don't think anybody really knows what we've got in him as far as playing inside. So I think you, you got those two guys kind of fighting for a spot. And then obviously, you know, Matthews, it, it seems to me that they're, they're still convinced that, that he can play inside at a high level, which he, he showed he could do towards the end of last season. And um, they're content playing him there in, in certain situations, probably on your early downs, you bring a guy like Nick Perry in on the outside um, let Matthews roam on the inside and, and help support the run, and then uh, then put him back outside to rush the passer when you get in on third down. But but Ryan seems like by by all accounts a 
you know, a real football nut. He's going to, um, he's going to give you tons of effort in the film room. I mean, that was something that his coaches just raved about him. And I mean, he's a, he's a pretty fast athletic guy too. I mean, he ran, I think four, six, two in the 40 at the combine. Um, so he's certainly got uh, pretty, pretty solid speed and athleticism. It's just uh, a question of, yeah, is he going to, is he going to be a special teams player right, right off the bat, or, or is he going to work his way in on the defense? And, and we certainly obviously won't know that until training camp gets closer. We're with, Evan Tex Weston from Acme Packing Company here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Also waiting for uh, you got the Polish rifle Scotty Wisniewski coming up in just a little bit uh, once he gets uh, some technical difficulties worked out on his end, which knowing this show has happened a few times uh, in our time, but now we've just been upgraded to everyone uh, to our new hi-fi settings. So uh, you're hearing Evan and I in uh, crystal clear, uh, I would say, uh, MP3 nearly CD quality. So hopefully you guys enjoy our voices nice and clear, uh, along with my twins, by the way, Charles. I've been having some fun uh, <laughs> uh, feeding them during the podcast because that's what happens when uh, this isn't a, a true day job. Uh, but you're looking at now, you look at through the fifth round. I mean, you get the, you know, they had four. The last four picks, I like them personally. I, I and you know, starting with the fifth round, I think the one, one maybe the more surprising, I would say the most popular in terms of the name recognition. Obviously, a player out of you know UCLA, you had a uh, at one point I don't know necessarily say he was like the most serious contender, but a guy a player that a lot of people had hype for maybe as a Heisman hopeful coming into this past year. You got Brett Hundley, a quarterback, obviously, and they traded up for him and. And, and it, you know, you see Elliot Wolf note that he they liked the player. He ran a four six three in the forty. Uh, but this is a same quarterback that came out of a spread offense in UCLA out of, out of Jim Mora. Uh, what, what do you th- what do you think about the pick? Is it is it just? I mean, it, you have a guru in Mike McCarthy that's that's developed quarterbacks throughout the years. Uh, I wouldn't say at the same frequency or as same success level as uh, Mike Holmgren did in the '90s with uh, with the West Coast offense. But your thought on, on McCarthy or not McCarthy on uh, Hundley, uh, the pick? Uh, do you think he? I think he has a great chance to progress uh, with a, a great quarterback coach with a great court, you know, great offensive system. Uh, and, and is this kind of a, a long? I would say, is this going to be? a year or two, maybe a two years down the road where you see Hundley competing for that backup spot with a guy like Scott Tolzien, who was just resigned this year. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me about Hundley in that pick is he's got by far the best physical tools of any quarterback taken in green Bay since Rogers came to town um, in terms of his, his side, his speed, his arm strength. Um, he's got everything you look for physically in a quarterback. Um, so not Brian Brom or anything. I thought he was the best. I thought they. I thought. Well, speed that Hundley does. Um, you know, the maybe the arm strength is pretty comparable, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting seeing how how Hundley progresses from that that offense at UCLA into into a more West Coast um, type of a type of an offense and and one where so much is asked of the quarterback. Um, you know, mentally and, and processing information quickly, the kinds of things that Rogers does so well. And so from, from that aspect, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a great fit for him to, to come in and, and really improve his, um, improve his game, improve his understanding of the game. And, and by all accounts, I mean, he's, he's a film junkie and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the strides he makes even just this off season and, and hopefully into, into next year. I think he's, he's certainly, you know, there, there's a good chance that it takes him a, a little while to, to get going. Um, just just making that adjustment from 
from from college when you've got a guy like like Tolzien who's been in Green Bay for for a year or two and and really understands the offense and 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 knows what he's going to do. Because um, you saw Tolzien even made made huge strides from that short time when when he had to start in in 2013 when Rodgers was hurt uh, into training camp last year. He looked like almost a completely different quarterback. And um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what what Hundley can do and and see if uh, see what kind of player we we have here. Um, you know, and, and come through mini camp and then through training camp. Absolutely. You know, I'm also interested in seeing, I mean, granted it's not a draft pick, but to see, and now he may be more of an arm uh, in camp, but you look at a guy like Matt Blanchard uh, who played, he was on the IR for the Carolina Panthers, uh, former white, you know, Wisconsin whitewater quarterback uh, and part of the, some of those championship teams that you saw underneath uh, former head coach Lance Leipold. So, um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how Blanchard and Hundley both develop uh, since Blanchard was just signed, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, though, I, like I said, I don't, I don't predict much right now uh, out of him. But uh, you look at the fact you have, you know, in the sixth round, they had three picks. They trade away their seventh round pick, which was part of the deal to, to trade up for Hundley. But you're looking to kind of to the future. You mentioned special teams players earlier. Uh, you look at a guy like Aaron Ripkowski, which – Sounds like he's instantly, but on name alone, going to fit in to the Green Bay and the Wisconsin culture. Obviously, this podcast being the Kielbasa Kings, uh, extravaganza. <laughs> you have Rukowski, uh, Dobja on all accounts there. Uh, but this guy also a, 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 a former walk-on, uh, which you know from Wisconsin Badgers lore, uh, are highly regarded and and uh, has been a, almost, I would say, a backbone of the Wisconsin Badgers uh, football culture since Barry Alvarez took over in 1990. So we'll see uh, how he does. And he may be the, the heir apparent to John Kuhn, who, uh, you know, is not growing any younger, uh, but is one of the smartest players on that offense uh, and could be a great mentor to uh, the potential, uh, you know, a potential uh, heir in Ripkowski. And then you have, you know, you have Christian Ringo, uh, from uh, Louisiana Lafayette uh, in the sixth round as well. A uh, little short with the with the size at six foot and a half, but 293 pounds. And uh, but you know he had a very good career in college for Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, and then you have a guy of uh, named Kennard Backman out of uh, UAB, the last draft pick ever, at least to date, for the University of Alabama Birmingham for the Blazers. Uh, your thoughts on those three picks? I know it's kind of a loaded question, but I, I really kind of like the athleticism from what I've heard, from what I heard about his pro day uh, out, of, out of Kennard Backman uh, and the fact that he's uh, very much, a, you know, he's a former basketball player and, and just the athleticism that you might be able to see out of him uh, if, when he continues to develop in the next year or two. Yeah, well, well, first things first, Ripkowski is probably the most perfect Packers fullback name you could possibly imagine. Um, yes. it, 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 just, it just doesn't get any better than that. So um, if you're going to have, like you said, a potential heir apparent to John Kuhn, both at that position and just in terms of kind of the cult hero status that Kuhn has developed in, in Green Bay and in Wisconsin, a guy like Ripkowski can certainly... Uh, can certainly be a, a, a worthy successor just just based on that name alone. But um, you know, watching some some of his tape, he's he's a really fun guy to watch because um, he did get a handful of carries at, at Oklahoma. He was used a little bit as a short yardage back, um, and and yeah, on occasion he'll he'll catch a pass out of the backfield. But he's he's so much fun to watch run because he just will not go down. He has um, he has some incredible churning legs that that. 
there, there was a couple of highlights where I saw where he gets stopped at the three yard line and he's, you know, he's pushing a pile of four or five guys and, and find his way, finds his way across the goal line. So um, we, we talked to the, the SB Nation Oklahoma bloggers earlier this week and, and they said two things about Ripkowski. One, do not get hit by him. And two, do not try to hit him because it will end <laughs> badly for you in either instance. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he has to bring to the table. Um, Certainly, you know, Kuhn, Kuhn is, is signed for, for this coming season. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't look like he's going anywhere, um, which, you know, which might relegate Rokowski to more of a special teams role early on. But um, I think the other thing that you've, you've got there with the tight end and fullback positions in Green Bay is you got some versatility because both Andrew Corliss and Richard Rodgers have lined up in the backfield in kind of that inverted wishbone with the double the double fullback formation. Um, with Rupkowski, you've got a guy who obviously can line up at fullback, but he's also split out at tight end occasionally on, on the end of the line of scrimmage. So that kind of gives him maybe a little, just a little added, um, a little added value and versatility there. Uh, as far as Ringo goes, basically with him, I see a clone of Mike Daniels, just physically. His his size, he's basically the exact same size as Daniels was coming out of, coming out of school. Um, like you said, about six foot and a half and, and around 290, 290 pounds. And he's really had a knack for, uh, for big splash plays. Um, he racked up, I think, almost 11 and a half or 12 sacks last year, 20 tackles for loss, from, which from a defensive tackle is, is astounding. Um, so I think you've got a, a guy there who can, who can almost, almost instantly contribute to some extent in um, pass rushing packages when, when you get into the nickel and the dime packages on third down. Um, and then with Backman, I think, yeah, you've got a really interesting um, blend of athleticism and kind of toughness because, you know, he's a guy who, who from what, what we've read, he really prides himself on his blocking ability. Um, but, but at the same time, he's, you know, he's, a, he's a quick guy. He's a fast guy. He's been used in line, in the slot, in the backfield, kind of all over the place. And that's, that's certainly something that uh, the Packers could use, a, you know, another, another versatile tight end who can uh, – you know, can can make some plays up the seam, and 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 also a guy who you know can can really do a, a solid job in the blocking game. So I think for all three of these, you know, you've got guys who can contribute on special teams, especially on coverage teams, um, and 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 as well on on return teams. But um, I think you've got guys who who definitely project well to to making an impact. Maybe not this season on offense and defense, but certainly you know in in twenty sixteen and beyond. Hey, we're here with Evan Tex Western from Acme Packing Company. And uh, hopefully I haven't kept you too long, my friend. I know it's been about a half, half an hour, so hopefully I haven't uh, uh, taken too much of your time or any, too much of any plans in your evening. we got the Polish Rifles, Scott Wisdom, joining us. And, uh, Scotty, we're just kind of wrapping up some of the draft talk. Uh, you know, what else? Uh, my, my, I guess my last question, uh, you look at the fact that uh, for the team, like looking around the NFC North, uh, any, uh, what did you think of some of their picks out there? I, I like the pick of Chicago going with Kevin White, the wide receiver out of West Virginia, obviously replacing, I would say, Brandon Marshall, who was shipped off to New York. But, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts about them? I, I mean, the Vikings and, and the Lions overall, too. What do you think about their, their drafts? Uh, if you had a chance to, to kind of look at them uh, in detail. Well, unfortunately, I, I hate the Vikings draft because I love the guys that they drafted. Um, you know, I think Trey Waynes is is a great pick for for the direction that the NFC North is going with between 
know, obviously the you know, you've got an established passing game with Rodgers and and Jordy and Cobb, um, and then in um, you know with, with guys like even Cutler and some of those big receivers, you need kind of a taller corner who can um, who can match up with those guys. And, and Wayne's does a good job, and and then getting a guy like Eric Hendricks in the second round to, to play you know, potentially outside on early downs and move inside and and play coverage on passing downs. I think that's a that's a great fit and and I think Mike Zimmer is is in a really good place with a lot of the talent that they've added on that side of the ball. Um, I think with with the Bears, what you see with with the pick of Kevin White is a change in philosophy and they recognize now that they're not the same old Bears team that used to build with defense and you know have a have a really you know a, a tough front seven with some great linebackers and, and and corners who can just choke the life out of you on on defense and then do just enough on offense to to win the game. That's that's clearly a thing of the past with with Ryan Pace and there as the new GM and and even John Fox is the is the head coach now. Um, and and making that switch to the three four, I really thought they would focus early on getting a pass rusher, getting a guy like maybe Vic Beasley or or something like that in the first round, but. Um, you know, I think they got a good one in Eddie Goldman as a nose tackle. I think he's going to fit right in in Chicago. He'll be a he'll be a, a real force in the run game. And so um, between those those two teams, I, I really like what what both of them have done up front. Awesome. And uh, Scotty, you got anything else, brother? I know you just jumped on. Uh, you got anything on your end you'd like to ask uh, Tex before uh, we let him go? No, because I'd be running the risk of being redundant. I, I, I really wouldn't want to repeat any questions. And I know we've kept them way longer than we promised. So I think I think we'll let him uh, get on with the rest of his Thursday. Excellent, excellent. Hey, Tex, man, I thank you so much. I'd uh, love to have you back on, uh, especially with OTAs coming up. And, and you know, you got the uh, summer coming up, doing some preview and some positions. We'd love to have you guys back on and uh, a lot you and your, your great correspondence over at Acme Packing Company. Well, thanks a lot. You guys say the word and, uh, and we'll make it happen. And I, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Go Pack Go! <laughs> awesome. That was Evan Tex Western. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter at Tex Western. We're going to take one quick break, come back, uh, hopefully burp one of my twins, and then come back, talk uh, a couple more things with the draft with some undrafted free agents that are Wisconsin-based, uh, then go into some Brewers and Bucks talk, guys. This is the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza.
everybody, Yak Shamash. Welcome back, Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. This is Jay Kokorowski. Big thanks again to Tex West from the Yak and Packing Company. I'm here live with uh, two of the twins. We got Logan Samuel, of course. We got Polish Rifle Scotty Wisniewski as well. We're talking. We talked NFL draft and and, and you know, things we forgot to note. Yeah, I know, buddy. I know, I know. We forgot to talk about Jay Kumaro and the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, former Warhawk. Uh, from Whitewater signing the uh, undrafted free agent deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. You got Warren Herring, the former Badger, going to Atlanta, which seems to be, you know, past and south nowadays uh, with, with the dead south where you saw Peter Kahn on there too, uh, there in Atlanta. And all the tryouts as well. We mentioned those earlier with Kenzel Doe and Dallas Llewellyn getting shots the next two weekends. But we're going to, you know, best of luck to them, obviously. Uh, but let's transition into baseball. Obviously, Milwaukee Brewers, losers today. Big day from for the Dodgers. They split the series. But, Scott, you got some opinions about the managerial change, obviously, after the word came out late Sunday yeah. night. Ron Renneke yeah. dismissed from the team after winning three of their last four. Your thoughts on the, uh, on the change? Well, you know, first of all, I'm going to give you my thoughts on the change. I'm going to give you my thoughts on what the Brewers are likely to do going forward and what I think they should do. First of all, whether or not Renneke was too soft on the players or didn't hold them accountable like we've heard and, and some of that other stuff, still he's one of the top three winningest managers in Brewer history over the last 30 years, 25 years. Top five winning percentage. Now, that doesn't mean he does. I'm not saying he deserves to keep his job or he deserves to be fired. But I will tell you this is I think both he and Doug Melvin should have been fired. And I think what scares me is Doug Melvin has done some good things in the past and he's lived off that reputation for the last three or four years. The drafts the last five or six years have been miserable. The farm systems ranked in the bottom three or four, depending on who you talk to around baseball. So now there's a talk of a rebuild. That's wonderful. The question is, there's two things you got to look at. A, if you're going to rebuild in this market size and run the risk of, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Miller Park, uh, but it's, it's a mausoleum how empty it's been. Dodgers are in town. They announced 22,000. There are about 14,000 in town in, in, in the park yesterday, and it was half price tickets. So if you, if, if you are going to commit to the rebuild, you're also going to have to commit to the fact that the attendance is probably going to be down for a, a year or two. You're not going to have the 2.5, 2.8, 3 million fans, which is unfortunate because it just shows you how many fair-weather Brewer fans there are, but whatever. It is what it is. The other problem with the rebuild is I don't know that I want Doug Melvin overseeing it. Because he hasn't shown me he can draft well, because he's been erratic in his draft, because he didn't address some of the concerns like, you know, when the team was had a chance to pick up Justin Monell last year and they didn't. Although the Adam Lynn pick has been really good, and I told you in the offseason it would be. But here's the thing. I don't know that I want him overseeing it. Now, if you look at guys who are likely to be traded, Kyle Loesch comes to mind. Aramis Ramirez does have some value, believe it or not, because there's going to be a team that needs a bat, perhaps an American League team who is a guy who can play third and DH. Um, but then it gets dicey. You know, you could probably flip K-Rod and get something for him closer to the trade deadline. That's, that's probably going to happen. Garza is going to be a tough trade because he's got a little bit of an injury history. I think he's a good piece, but for the contract that he's got with the two years left on it, he's going to be hard. So what does that leave? 
It leaves Luke Roy, who everybody says won't get traded, and, and that's fine. Uh, there's been some talk in the offseason. The Angels were sniffing and kicking the tires on Scooter Jeanette, but I think the Brewers keep him because he's low risk. Segura, I think you don't want to say he's untouchable. I would trade him, though, only if I'm going to get two really good prospects, two top-notch prospects. The guys who are the most tradable, Loesch, like I said, will probably be gone. Maybe the Cardinals, maybe Houston. I've heard some other teams. Carlos Gomez is a guy who has the most upside, the most value. He's got two years left on the deal he's in. He's in the prime age of his career, and he can help a team for two years before he, he hits free agency. So if you're going to try to bring in prospects that could be major league ready within a year or two, it's going to be Gomez who you're going to have to dangle out there, along with some of the other names I mentioned. Again, Lucroy, I'm hearing, is untouchable. Everybody else is negotiable. Ryan Braun, see, I don't know. P- they say Ryan Braun, because his production slid a little bit, obviously. If his production could get up and he could start hitting by the All-Star break, his contract isn't that, that taxing for a bigger market team. It's taxing. It's a burden on the Brewers because they have a $100 million payroll-ish, maybe a little less they'd like to have. So he's a big burden of that. But for a team like New York or for a team like L.A. or one of the L.A. teams, they're, you know, it, they can take that. They can absorb that salary, and it wouldn't bother him. But his production has to go up. And I wouldn't be opposed to trading him either. But I don't want to trade guys away for low-level prospects that are eh, maybe 50-50. If you're going to commit to trading a guy like Gomez or Braun or Segura, you're going to have to get top-line prospects low because he might be in demand. The other guys, like I said, you won't get a ton for uh, K-Rod. You're not going to get a top-notch prospect, but you'll get some depth in your farm club, in your farm system, perhaps. So I think you're going to see some moves made. But here's the thing. As scary as it sounds, they got the worst record in the National League. Okay, they're six games out of the wild card spot, though. I know they're 11 out of first. Cardinals are going to run away and hide on everybody soon. They're six back of the wild card. So if they stayed status quo, and by the way, Parr is another guy who could be traded and get some value. But if they stay with what they got and Luke Cray was gets healthy and they start winning some series, if, believe it or not, they could be right back in the wild card hunt in a month. Now, I don't think that's likely because I think there's a lot of quit in this team. I think they're not as mentally tough as they should be, and I think they feel like they've played themselves out of any chance of a playoff bid, and, and I think they might be mentally defeated. By the way, Adam Lynn, another guy who could get traded, obviously. I, I know I, just, I keep rattling off names, but let's, let's face it. They all have to be in play. Um, but the bottom line is um, – yeah, maybe with a good two or three week stretch, they could be right there. But you've got to look long term. Yeah, maybe they're a wild card team this year if they start playing well. But do you really think the long term future with some pieces and depth in the rotation that they don't have, and some and the farm system being as as depleted as it is, do you really think this is a championship contending team in the next three or four years? And if you don't think they are, Jake, then you, I guess you do have to start trading some of the pieces. So, you know, that's yeah, the no, thing. I, I, I agree. No, I mean, you know, it's the one thing uh, that, that that's sad to me. And, I mean, it's just something that's noted. Like you said, like, oh, well, this guy can get value. This guy can get value. There are a lot of guys, Scotty, that that really could – I mean, you talk about all this value that, that this roster has, and, and they're, they perform like they have. And I think that's what's really kind of disappointing from what you've seen – 
uh, in a team that obviously, I mean, granted, they've played better the past week, uh, past two weeks. But the simple fact that this team, you say, oh, these guys can get some, these guys have trade value. And, you know, you hear about all these uh, players who get Scotty back now. Uh, but I mean, Scotty, I was saying, uh, here's mentioned all oh, this guy's got value this guy's got value there's trade value for these players it's just you know it's sad to see that you hear about this ta- you see the talent uh and you hear about i mean you know lynn's played well you have gomez and segura and others uh and you're talking about oh these guys all have value i just wish that they perform better and what they you know performed to what they possibly could have sure. could have played you sure. know but you got to look at this too. Adam Lind and Gomez. Okay, if they're a couple years away from being a championship caliber team, you got to ask yourself is Lind going to. Lind's on the other side of 30. Now, he could help a team like, say, Pittsburgh, or, or I know people don't like to trade within their division, but there's teams that need first base help. He can help them now. The question is will he be at his best two or three years from now when the Brewers are ready to, to, to you know, have their young players that they hopefully can acquire? When they're ready to contend again, same with Gomez. Will they be able to pay him in two years? And will, will it be, make sense to pay him in two years if they're not contenders? So, you know, it, it's, it's hard. Like you said, it's hard to look at this and go, oh, my God, this roster could look terrible in, in, in August. But at the same time, it, it all depends. I wouldn't make these trades if you're not getting guys back that are going to help you in a year or two. If you got to get guys that are a roll of the dice, then keep what you got and roll the dice with them. You know what I'm saying? But but if you can get guys that you think can be uh, good building blocks in a year or two, and you don't have to you know wait and wait and wait, then yeah, go ahead and make the deal. But I but that's where the slippery slope is, Jake. Some people are like yeah, just trade them off. Trade them for the right deal. Trading just to trade is stupid. Trading just to get a guy who might maybe be a fifth starter someday? No, no, that's no. You can get a fifth starter. You got to trade for a guy who could be a number two starter or, you know, an eighth if you're lucky, but you don't trade for guys that can be fifth starters. We got enough of those. We got a a farm system full of those. Right, right. No, that's true. So uh, we'll see what happens there. All right. And what's that, Amy? Yeah, you talked about the trade. And you know, with, with the way things are gone, and let me add, I mean, like, have you seen? I mean, granted, they they played well in Chicago this past weekend, taking mm-hmm. two or three out of the Cubs, and they split against the Dodgers. But I mean, did you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a short sample size. You know, granted, they you know they played a they played a decent amount of games, but uh, did you see any difference between in the four games you saw that they played no. against the Dodgers compared to what they played? Against? No, no, that's that's stupid. No. You know, they had the comeback win against Kershaw. Let's be honest. Kershaw hasn't been Kershaw this year, okay? Um, but then they lost by 10 runs today. So we were seeing that under Renneke. I, I mean, it's too I mean, it's too early to tell. I, it, you know, the, the lineup isn't really much different. I, I'd like to see how, you know, if he's a, You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see him get a little bit more out of Chris Davis. I'd like to see him get a little bit more out of Scooter Jeanette. I'd like to see the young players respond to him, and then I'll say, yeah, there's a measurable difference. But on four games, nah, you can't really tell any of that. But I'd like to see how some of the younger players – we've been waiting on Chris Davis now. This is his second full season, uh, you know, to live up to the expectations we thought we were going to get when they allowed Aoki to, to go. So, you know, let's see. Yeah, and like I said, Jeanette, Segura, can he bounce back from last year? If those guys do that – 
then yeah, then I, I I'll be able to say yeah, there's a there's a measurable difference in some of the things Craig Council is doing. I don't want to just dismiss him. I'm not. But let's be honest. What you look for in a manager, we talked about it. You know, a good manager can make the difference in about five or six games over a bad manager. But what it is is do the players respond to him? Do can, can he kick them in the in the rear end and they 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 take to it? Can the young players mature and grow under him? That's what I really want to see. As far as the X's and O's and the stuff in between the lines, it's really all the same. You, you know, uh, but uh, ask me at the end of the year when we look at Chris Davis and, and if, he's, if he's hitting 206, I'll say no, no difference. If he's hitting 286 and he's got 23, 24 home runs, then I'll say, yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe you could track some of that to, to the manager. So it's, it, I guess the long answer to that question is it's too early to tell that right now. That's what I thought too, but it's always worth, you know, they always say they want to shake things up. It's like, well, how long does it actually take to shake up a roster? How long is it, you know, like how much does it take to like knock them upside the head? And pr- it's going to take, Jake, Jake, it's going to take a lot because these guys were drafted. They're similar players. I, I hate to use the word mentally weak. That, that's, that's tough, but they're kind of soft. Okay, and and uh, you know we talked about it on the last show. There's a little bit of a hangover still from from the collapse last year. They're a soft kind of a, a bunch, talented. Baseball IQ is low, and they they they're just they 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 have a lot of. I've heard one GM say this. I'm not saying this. This is a GM, a major league GM said this. The Brewers have a lot of quit in them. Okay, so you know shaking it up, you, you can't you can lead a horse to water. But, you know, if a guy doesn't want to uh, uh, respond, so to speak, then what's the point? You know, I mean, these are major leaguers. These aren't little leaguers or high schoolers where you can, you know, throw a bat around and, you know, uh, throw a couple tantrums and make some guys run some extra sprints and, and they're going to bounce back. That's not how it works, you know. Um, but, you know, but maybe saying to Ryan Braun, you know what, you know, if, and I'm, I, I'm not singling out Ryan Braun. I know that's the chic thing to do. But saying to a guy, a veteran, like, you're not performing, I'm going to sit you for a couple of days. You know, that's holding somebody accountable and then seeing how guys respond to stuff like that. Um, that's what you can do. But as far as, like, the, you know, the rah-rah stuff, that, I, I hate to be, like, dismissive of it and I hate to ruin, you know, people's Cinderella viewpoint of things, but the rah-rah stuff doesn't work you know, at this level. I mean, teams can pull together for each other, like we saw in Oakland a couple years ago. That that can happen. But one coach coming in and, you know, waving pom-poms or throwing bats or whatever, it, just, it doesn't work like people think it does in the movies. You know, now if the team buys into some of that and then the team collectively starts to rah-rah and root for each other, there could be, you know, some, some uh, uptick. But it's just not going to be because council's there. That's it, I. I wish it worked that way, but at that level, with the guys making the money they're making, um, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't work that way. So, um, so yeah. Don't mind me. We had the uh, mic turned off. A little bit of technical difficulties on my end. Uh, more like fatherly technical difficulties with the. Uh, two boys but uh other than that uh i mean you know we didn't get a chance to talk, really talk about it or maybe if we dedicate a, a show next week uh, as we enter kind of our dead period bucks obviously uh sizable loss against chicago game six in milwaukee last weekend but great season on there on you know just a remarkable season uh and we'll see if they can hopefully lock up the 
uh, look, lock up the stadium proposal, which I know from what it sounds like, Governor Scott Walker's kind of put the, the hold on that until some sort of budget gets signed uh, here, which I think is obviously linked to his presidential campaign. Uh, but you look at that, I mean, a great season for the Bucks. Uh, anything else you want to do? Should we go in a little bit in depth on that, or should we hold off? No, no, let's, like let's, let's, let's save it, because we only have a few minutes left. I, I'll tell you what we should talk about, though, because we can talk the Bucks stuff in the – the stadium stuff, and we can do all that, you know, like we, like you said, with some of the dead period coming up. Let's talk about the fight on uh, Saturday because, um, you know, there's some, there's, the fight was disappointing in some people's minds, and now the, you know, injury uh, aspect of it with Pacquiao, and he underwent shoulder surgery today, and now the, the even the stories about people suing the, the fighters now for, which is stupid. I, you know what? You ga- It's a gamble. It's called a gamble. Nobody purposely defrauded anybody it's not like it's not that uh, kind of a thing but but it's still I mean, kind of silly he did he did withhold the injury i mean they didn't know about the injury i mean you know but okay. you don't have to disclose there's no rule that says you have to disclose it jake it's not like the nfl where there's a rule okay boxing doesn't have a rule you know either way though think about it this way either way there is going to be risk of, of a lawsuit if if he would have said hey i got hurt last week now i can't fight people would have been up in arms about that too listen I, I to me something like that is a risk you take anyway what if he would have got hurt in the first round what if what if he would have hurt his shoulder right out of the gate could you sue him then because he didn't stop yeah, fighting like the difference though scotty between between disclose i mean granted yeah they're not they don't have to disclose the injury and yeah maybe the nevada right. boxing commission could have gotten them that, but I mean, the fact that he was injured a couple of weeks prior. What would you? What would you have done? Would you have backed out of the fight? Oh, I mean, there's no way they could have done it. But I'm just saying. I mean, it, people spent okay. money to, to see the quote-unquote fight of the century, and well, not not the fight of the century. Granted, they they pumped it up. It was a huge hype fight that never lived up to what it should have been. Which I mean, it should have been done five years earlier when these guys were in their primes more. Right, but but, but they but, but it did it because because there was posturing. I blame most of that posturing, and I know he's an easy target, but I blame that on Mayweather because I'll be honest, Mayweather did duck Pacquiao um, oh, yeah, for a long definitely. time, and and had all kinds of reasons under the sun why he you know why he was doing it. But you know, to me, I, I you know if to me it's a if 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 a lawsuit was won in this case, you know what. Then, I, I, then if I'm Vegas and I'm boxing, and then you know what? Stop betting on it. I, it's just, it's it's silly because again, you're in a no-win situation. If you pull out of the fight, then you're 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 weak. Uh, you're you're all these other words, the colorful words that I won't even use. Uh, it, it's a no-win situation. Okay, yeah, he got hurt, and you're right. They're both these guys are past their prime. I thought from an age standpoint, Mayweather was a little bit more past his prime, but obviously he he was able to win the fight. But I don't know. I to me, well, I, I, you I, know, mean, I didn't watch the fight. You know, I didn't watch the fight. I didn't. I couldn't. I to be honest, I could have less. Uh, yeah, well, and you know what? I watched it only because I was invited over to watch it. I could have cared less about it too. And I loved boxing. I grew up with boxing. My dad was a boxing fan. He got me in the boxing. But I can't. I, I can't stomach Mayweather to begin with, personally. Right. Uh, you know, and you can. You know, pay, try to paint me with any broad brush you want. The bottom line is, I don't like people who beat up women. So it's not about the cockiness. It's not about the money. And it's not about him bailing Suge Knight out of jail. That, that stuff, fine, whatever. They, you know, to each his own. I, you know, I'm not one of those people who says, oh, yeah, look at him. Look at him with the jewelry. No, that's fine. I don't like people who put their hands on women. 
So I, I was never going to root for him to begin with. Okay, and Pacquiao, again, I thought he was a little past his prime, and he's okay. I think he's a decent guy, but he doesn't really stir uh, uh, feelings of, you know, I got to see him. It's not like, and I know I sound like an old man, but I just remember watching these fights with my dad, Hearns and Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard and Duran. Uh, you know, so you could have good non-heavyweight fights if those guys are, were in their prime. Those guys were great fighters, man. But, you know, boxing fell on some hard times, and there's a lot of reasons for it. One, the heavyweight division's weak. Two, the heavyweight division's dominated by non-Americans, so Americans aren't going to watch. Three, a lot of fans moved over to MMA because of some of the, the judging controversies and the way fights were scored. Boxing hurt itself. There's too many divisions. There's seven or eight federations that you can win belts for. When I was growing up, it was WBA and WBC. That's it. You know, so they watered down their product. I mean, boxing, they're in their problems. They're, they're having their problems because they caused most of them. You know, so I'm with you. I, I, I wasn't into this fight, but I ended up watching it, and I saw a lot of dancing around by Mayweather, and I saw Pacquiao being very passive. So when, I, when it turned out that he, they said he was hurt, and people were like, oh, he's just making these. He's like, no, I believe it, because he really wasn't counterpunching. He wasn't doing a lot of the things that I'm, I had seen footage of, because I've watched Pacquiao fight before, even though I don't watch boxing like I did growing up. But I... I, I am with you. I, I really didn't care one way or the other. I expected Mayweather was going to win, uh, even if Pacquiao wasn't hurt. I was hoping Pacquiao would win just because I personally have distaste for Mayweather. But it, it's hard. It's hard to watch something and root for the bad and watch something knowing the bad guy is going to win. Uh, you know. So, um, so yeah. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how it shakes down. I, bottom line is, I'm glad I was able to watch it for free and not spend ninety nine bucks. And I wouldn't have spent nine. I wouldn't have spent ten dollars to get in at BW three. So, right. well, then let's not to end end the podcast on this kind of a sad note or a kind of a kind of a negative note. Two things, real quick. Well, one will will be. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk with Tex about it, but you have DeflateGate, the the Ted Wells findings. Uh, where it sounds like you know they're talking about Tom Brady and the fact that there's there's probable cause. They didn't say they have a necessarily. I mean, they have texts, which I don't know if they're necessarily a smoking gun or not. But you have you know text exchanges between two employees talking about uh, the deflator and and uh, certain uh, things going on there. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me know your thoughts about the Flategate one. I, I don't have – I'll make it quick. I don't have any yet. I want to see what the NFL does about it. I, I, I think that it's going to be paramount to a slap on the wrist for Brady, and there will probably be some draft picks taken away, and it should be. I'm not saying he shouldn't be punished. I think Brady's going to get away with a little bit more of a slap on the wrist. I don't know why. I mean, you can argue that he deserves to be punished more, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the organization will, will take the punishment. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, now if you got a chance to listen or hear about this, but Rob Domofsky from ESPN did note earlier uh, this afternoon, and we had it up on Becky's fifth quarter that the day after Brett Favre was supposed to be inducted into the Packers hall of fame is the, uh, he's supposed to play. And it sounds like Lambeau field turned it down, but you have the fact that uh, you have Favre playing in some sort of celebrity football game, at Camp Randall Stadium on July 19th. Uh, now, from what it sounds like and from what I heard from the Mike Heller show, uh, that officials said that they're in the, currently in negotiations 
uh, about it, but nothing's been completely finalized. But it sounds like Brett Favre will play one more game in the state of Wisconsin, albeit exhibition. But, uh, I mean, uh, hey, who knows? It'll be a great publicity stunt for people in Madison, and who knows? Maybe we'll be able to cover it. But uh, well, like You know what? That, that, that's fine. I, I don't care one way or the other about it unless they do it for charity, and then I'm all for it. Which I think I think it's supposed to be going for charity. I think it's an exhibition okay. for charity. Okay, well, good. Uh, good, then I, I'd be more than happy to, to cover that then. So we'll see if we're allowed to. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what that is. So we'll, we'll, yeah. Speaking of charity, because uh, we're, we're – I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut. We're kind of up against it here. But, hey, you know what? We're about eight, nine days away, the 17th. Uh, we're raising funds for uh, uh, one of our friends who passed away. We're raising funds for the family. It's a wrestling show. It's pro wrestling. And if you hate what I, like, what I say on the, on the show and you want me to get mine, you know, there's a good chance I might get my, my, my butt handed to me. So come on and root against me or root for me, whichever. But it's in Richfield. We'll post some stuff up on our uh, Facebook and on our Twitter, and hopefully everybody can come join in, in it for a good cause. Absolutely. It'll be a fun time. It's, what, next weekend already? It's uh, crazy how time flies. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you have a lot of good guys. You have the Ring of Honors, uh, two Ring of Honor wrestlers, from what it sounds like now, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, not yep that's correct. You have yep. City Bruiser. You have the last real man in Silas Young. Uh, so you have yep. some international talent there. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Make sure you guys check it out. So uh, I'm, I'm going to try to make it down there. Uh, we'll see what uh, these uh, two rambunctious twins that I'm currently uh, holding right now, see what we can do there. But make sure you guys check it out. Yeah, and one last thing, and, and this is for everybody listening out there and, and for you and, and your lovely wife. Happy Mother's Day. Hopefully you have a safe weekend. Spend time with mom. Be lucky to ha- if your mom is still with you um, that you get to see them because um, obviously this is going to be my first Mother's Day without mine. But uh, yeah, happy Mother's Day to everybody who makes us who we are, our moms. And on that note, I'm, uh, I'm out, man. Good. Sounds good, brother. And uh, for all you guys, big thanks to Tex Western from uh, Acme Packing Company. Follow them at Tex Western. Follow us at Kielbasa Kings WI and at B5Q. We'll come back uh, this next week. We may have a Packers draft pick. Uh, not gonna, not gonna count my uh, eggs before they hatch. We'll have that. And you guys take care. Have a great rest of the weekend. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Dozo Bachenya, my friends.